This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. You know, some days on this show are kind of a democracy. Try to uh, spread the sports talk around to various different subjects. Today is not one of those days. We will hit two main subjects on Daily Delivery today. Coming up in a little bit, I will chat with Megan Ryan, Twins beat writer, uh, coming off of a difficult road trip that ended well, though, with a 4-3 win over the Yankees on Thursday night. And now the real fun begins. Um, big series against Cleveland starting Friday at Target Field. And the rest of the way, at least the schedule is a little bit more forgiving, not playing the, the best of the best. And they have 14 games still against Cleveland and Chicago as the Twins try to uh, win the AL Central game and a half back uh, with 26 games to play behind Cleveland, uh, Chicago also a game and a half back. So a lot of these head-to-head meetings are going to determine who ultimately comes away with this division championship. But before we get to the Twins, let's talk about the Vikings. They open their season Sunday against the Packers, of course. Rams lost 31-10 to Buffalo in Thursday's NFL opener. Rams maybe a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover in Buffalo. A very good team this year, expected to be a prime contender. And that was quite an example, quite a statement that Buffalo made in that game. But the Vikings, everybody everybody else feels like they are in a position to do Great things. There's, you know, renewed hope, renewed optimism, which brings me to a question about myself. I have discovered that I am very negative about the Vikings, at least related in relation to the rest of the Star Tribune staff. And I got to ask the question, why? Um, Published online, I think it was Thursday that this went online, and this will be in a, a print edition at some point here as well. Um, seven of us on the Star Tribune staff made predictions about the Vikings season. All the you know Vikings writers, the other columnists, things like that, um, made predictions on the record and you know, a little paragraph about the team, stuff like that. The six, my six other colleagues who participated in this exercise, all had the Vikings going ten and seven or nine and eight. Lavelle Neal the third, ten and seven. Ben Gessling, beat writer, ten and seven. Andrew Kramer, beat writer, 10 and 7. Mark Craig, who covers the NFL and the Vikings for the Star Tribune, 9 and 8. Chip Scoggins, ch- columnist, 9 and 8. Jim Suhan, columnist, 9 and 8. I have them going 7 and 10. And that's a pretty big difference from 10 and 7 or 9 and 8. Now, in the NFL, it's really not. That much of a difference sometimes because a lot of these teams, you know, you you come down to it and there's those five games. And if you win four of them, you're probably going to be a 10 or 11 win team. If you lose four of them, you're probably going to be a seven win team. But what I want to know is why is my calculation so much different than everybody else's? Especially because, you know, two or three weeks ago, I probably was in the boat of nine or 10 wins. I was thinking, you know, schedule looks pretty favorable just not you know nine actual home games this year in the 17 game schedule seven true road games in that neutral site game in london um against the saints where you don't have to make a trip down there for that game that's a win don't have a ton of tough quarterbacks on the schedule i get the reasons for optimism so what is it what what flipped the switch for me and brought me over to team pessimism. So I decided to write some things down. I had to think about it a little bit more because my attitude has shifted. And I came up with a few different things that are kind of driving my opinion. Number one, I just feel like 
the depth on this team is still a real problem. And, you know, I've, I've talked extensively here and on Access Vikings podcast about, you know, their, their 10 best players are still very good. You know, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, even, you know, Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, Irv Smith Jr., if he's healthy, Brian O'Neill, and you know, some of their other offensive linemen, defensive players like Daniil Hunter, um, you know, Zadarius Smith, um, Eric Kendricks, you know, Harrison Smith, a lot of guys, there's a lot of talent on this team that could help them. But that said, a lot of that talent has been here for a long time and has missed the playoffs three of the last four years. And some of those guys have been hurt. We'll get to that in a minute. But even with a lot of these same top end players in recent years, they have not achieved a very high level of success. And behind them, the depth which has been the real problem in a lot of these years, is still not that much better. I'm sure it's going to get better, or I think they would hope it will get better, but that was a real problem in 2020, 2021, as they started to get injuries, as guys get a little older. There's not that quality depth behind these guys. If, if they have any injury at any position aside from running back, that's the only position I see them having any real depth this season. There is a dramatic drop-off at a lot of these spots, and they are going to be in trouble. I worry about their depth at corner. I worry about their depth at linebacker. I worry about their depth on the defensive line even. I think it's unproven a little bit. I worry about their depth, you know, even still a little bit at wide receiver, at tight end for sure, on the offensive line. Uh, At quarterback, you know, I think Nick Mullins is a fine backup, so I'm not terribly worried about that. But, you know, in terms of the, the, the one position where you're like, yeah, Dalvin Cook is really good, but if he gets hurt, you still got Alexander Madison. You still got other guys behind him. I feel okay about that. As good as as good as you no know, Dalvin Cook is, I'm very worried about this team's depth, and I just don't think that is going to play out in a good way for them because injuries in this league are inevitable. Number two on my list, I just don't think I don't believe in this defense. Um, I know they have a new scheme. I know they have a new a new energy. I know they're going to do things differently, but. They're probably not going to be in this 3-4 scheme very often. The base defense is only employed in this league probably 25-30% of the time. Then then you're getting into the nickel. You're getting into stuff where you can be exposed, where matchups are going to be a problem, things like that. I just I don't believe in it. I, I feel like they still are limited. I feel like the defense is getting older. I am not buying that this is going to be an improved defensive team. And this was a very bad defensive team each of the last two seasons. Number three, there's just too many unknowns to me. First and foremost being, we don't know if Kevin O'Connell is a good head coach. Uh, He very well might be, um, but we don't know. We don't know how he's going to react in game situations. We don't know, you know, what he's going to do when when faced with adversity. We don't know what calls he's going to make because he just hasn't been in this seat before. And he very well could be, like I said, he could be very good. We just don't know. And that kind of brings me to my final point on the negativity I feel like this team has not earned the right to garner my sight unseen optimism. I feel like this is a team that has to prove me wrong rather than prove me right when it comes to a prediction this season. So as I thought about it, it's more fun to predict a team is going to be good. You you know, by and large, covering a team that is a playoff contender that's winning more than it's losing is a more enjoyable experience. And I think sometimes that frames some of the preseason predictions we make. I just couldn't honestly look at this team as it stands right now, and say, yeah, this is a team I think is going to win 9 or 10 games. Now, I'm definitely in the minority on this. I'm the one out of seven right now on our staff that's making a public prediction like this. So I very well, I am the outlier. I could very well be proven 
wrong with my prediction, and this team could very well be a 9 or 10 win team, even better than that, and be a playoff team, and they could show me some of the things that I'm still skeptical about. I fully admit that. I see the reasons for optimism. I just feel like the reasons for pessimism are outweighing those right now, and I want them to prove me wrong rather than me going in feeling like they are like they are going to prove me right. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. Now I'm going to bring Megan Ryan, covers the Twins for the Star Tribune, in in just a minute here. But I uh, uh, wanted to make sure you guys know when I talked to her, that was... Thursday before the game against the Yankees. So if you hear references to two games back, it's actually a game and a half back. If it seems a little bit more negative than it could, it's because the Twins did manage to win Thursday's game 4-3. Carlos Correa, huge two-run home run to break a tie late in that game. And the Twins held on. Um, The Yankees had threats in the bottom of the eighth and bottom of the ninth. Got one in the eighth, but Michael Fulmer gets out of a bases-loaded one-out jam in the uh, bottom of the ninth. The Twins get a much-needed win, probably bring some confidence into this series against Cleveland. So um, probably feeling a little bit better about themselves. Fact of the matter remains, though, 2-15 and this season against now the Yankees, Dodgers, and Astros. The great news is they no longer have to play those teams anymore. The five teams left on their schedule, I believe they're 32-24 and against this season. That would be Cleveland, uh, the Chicago White Sox, um, the Angels, the Royals, and the Tigers. So we'll see. They they have a chance to do something here. I don't know how much they deserve it, quote-unquote, or not, but they are right in the middle of this race and have an opportunity at the end of the season. Good to be joined today by Megan Ryan. Covers the Twins for the Star Tribune has been out in New York, um, not uh, not a lot of success out there, Megan. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about that series and also spin forward to the rest of the year. And you know, we've documented their the Twins' struggles um, against some of these, you know, some of the really good teams in baseball. You know, and Rocco Baldelli made the point the other day, like a lot of teams are struggling against the Yankees, the Astros, the Dodgers, the Twins to an extreme uh, extreme case entering play. Uh, Thursday with a one and fifteen record against those three teams, but um, the schedule gets interesting and considerably easier now that they come home for these games against Cleveland. We have got fourteen games left against Cleveland and the White Sox, and and nobody else really on the schedule should scare you all that much. So they, as as tough as the last week has been, they have to feel at least okay about where they are coming into this weekend, I would imagine, even if it hasn't gone exactly how they wanted it to. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that is, you know, they try to keep in perspective, um, the players and the staff. um, And I think the fans probably have a hard time keeping into perspective is that like, as bad as some of their losses are, and perhaps as like preventable as some of these losses seem, um, the fact of the matter is, is that they're two games out of first place in the AL Central. So, and they play like the, the, so it's, it's like Cleveland's two games up and then you've got the White Sox 
and the twins tied at two games back. Right. And that's a close game. Like that's a close race, but there are so many games between those three teams left in this season. Um, I think there's like, yeah, there's, there's like two series, a home and away against Cleveland. There's another home and away, I think against Chicago as well. Correct. So there's a lot, there's a lot that can happen in those games because when you play each other that much, like, you know, things change very quickly. So I think that's maybe the thing to keep in mind, you know, when the twins are losing to the Yankees for the umpteenth time and it seems all doom and gloom, uh, which, yeah, it's tough, but there's still so much that can happen. And there's still a way that these guys win the central and go on to the playoffs. And then, you know, it's anyone's game once it gets to that point. So there's a lot left to live for even if the Yankees continue to beat the twins. <laughs> I've, you know, this series aside, I've gotten the sense almost all season, you know, at various points, it's been a little bit different, especially when they had that, you know, really good stretch early in the year that put them into first place. And then kind of that's kept them either in first or in contention for pretty much the entire rest of the season. But I've gotten this sense that fans are having a hard time enjoying this team or getting fully invested, getting behind this team even though it is competitive within its division. Have you gotten that sense as you interact, whether it's just in person on social media, whether you get, you know, whether it's emails, have you gotten that sense that this is, you know, I know you didn't cover the team in 2019, um, but you know, that, that was a much, much better team, but a different, a different vibe, even though that team also was, was highly competitive as well. Have you gotten the sense of fan angst, even as this has gone reasonably successful in, in the context of expectations? Yeah. You know, I think I have, it's been interesting because you're right. I don't have a ton of context, but I have been talking to a couple of my sports writer friends around town, um, and they have all even mentioned like, wow, like the twins fans just like, they seem hard to please. Like the, like even when the team's in first place, it's like, you know, they are upset about, you know, the manager pulling the pitcher after five, or they're upset about the bullpen blowing a game or, you know, and like, there's kind of all of this angst about it. And whenever they lose a game, it's like, you know, the world has ended. Um, and I, it's hard for me because I'm a very, like, I'm a Libra. I see both sides of every situation. <laughs> um, so it's hard for me to, like, kind of be judgmental on either side because on the, like, you know, unbiased sports writer side, I do see it, the fact that, like, yeah, they're still in it and there's still a lot to, like, play for. And so, you know, nobody's perfect. They're going to have games where, you know, the pitcher gets pulled or where the bullpen, you know, blows up or Carlos Gray doesn't hit a grand slam or whatever. Like, there's going to be things like that. And, you know, you just kind of have to like roll with those punches. But at the same time, I think I can see it from the fan perspective too, which is that um, God bless them. They've been burned in Minnesota sports for however many years of, you know, these teams and underperforming or feeling like they were going to be really good and then not. And I think maybe for the twins, the reason it's been so compounded in the last couple of years is the fact that they were so good in 2019 and then they were so good in 2020. And even then they couldn't get out over this playoff curse. Right. And then, you know, they come out of those things and everyone's like, Oh, they're on the rise. And then they have this like, you know, just absolutely atrocious year in 21. Um, and then this year it's supposed to be, Oh, they rebuilt everything and they've got Carlos Correa and like things are on the up and up and they, it is much better than it was last year. Um, but you know, it's not maybe to the extent that they 
thought that they were going to be getting when they came out of 2020, 2019 and 2020. So I can get it from that perspective of just being disappointed that, you know, this team was supposed to maybe achieve a lot more than you thought. And it, and it hasn't for whatever reason. Um, And I think I also get it from the perspective that like, you know, even though like they're still very much in the playoff race, only two games out, they're two games out in the worst division, <laughs> like yes. in, in the in MLB. They would so be it's mo- like, they would be more than ten games out in any other division right now. Right, exactly. And so I think that's where a lot of the maybe angst comes from. Is every time the Twins are like, "Oh, well, we're still in the playoff race," everyone is like, "Well, yeah, but it's because you kind of lucked out and you're in a bad division. But if you're in anywhere else, it'd be a problem." And also, you're in this position that like you basically have to win your division. There's like an outside chance if like you know the wild card race i guess is still a possibility but for the most part it's like you gotta win that division or you're not like no other team from the al central is going to be getting in at this rate so yeah like and i get it from that perspective too so i can see both sides of like i do think there's more left to live for i think that they can easily still make the playoffs and like you know once that happens maybe it'll all be fine but i can also get the frustration on the fan point so my advice to everyone is just we should all take a step back and remember this is fun <laughs> it's sports it's sports it's this a game sports. we do this for fun I th- so everyone I th- just take a deep breath and enjoy you know smell the roses and i made a point <laughs> uh, i made a point on thursday show that they they sometimes make it hard to treat it as fun because they the the approach they take while intellectually making sense in a lot of cases sometimes you know leaves fans you know wondering you know second guessing or being like ah like i i, I want to see the game played differently and i think a prime example is the the you know concerted um philosophy of you know they're gonna take the pitcher out probably after five innings or not much longer after that um regardless of how well they're pitching and we saw that you know again it's it's so much easier to it's very easy to second guess when the decision backfires and we saw that Wednesday, um, even if it was, you know, intellectually understood, Louis Varland making his major league debut. Um, he's gotten through five innings beautifully. Send they get he gets sent out for the sixth. He he gives up a kind of a soft single, then gets a strikeout, then he gets pulled mid-inning. And you kind of knew it was coming, right? It was he, he was at 80 pitches. Um, you know, he's he's making his major league debut. You imagine he's spent a lot of his adrenaline already, and he's already given up a home run to Aaron Judge, who's coming up next. So it makes sense, but it's like you also want to see Varlin try to get another shot at getting through the order and maybe going deeper into that game, knowing you have a doubleheader and a lot of you know a lot of innings ahead. And as it turned out, it turned out to be a 12 inning game that they lost after you know Griffin Jacks gives up the tying home run just a couple of batters after coming into the game. So as you think about that, first I want to hear um, what it was like to cover his debut because it sounds like it was kind of wild, and then also the idea of. The, the taking out of the pitcher seems to be the sticking point in a lot of cases of, of how people view this team and, and kind of the overarching philosophy of this, uh, this organization. Yeah. The pitcher thing is, is crazy. And I think, um, again, I see both sides. It's really hard to live my life when you can empathize with everyone. Um, but no, I really, I really do see both sides. And I think from, from the fan perspective, uh, you know, no offense to anyone, but a lot of baseball fans have been baseball fans for a really long time and they've grown up with a certain view of the game and the game has 
been changing as all things do over time. And so kind of gone are the days when you had like your pitchers that like, you know, through complete games all the time or whatever, or regularly went into like, you know, the seventh, eighth inning or whatnot. And then you put in one closer and you were done. Like, it's just, it doesn't happen like that very much, very, very often anymore. And the, the times that it does happen, these it's like the elite of the elite pitchers, right? Like even Garrett Cole last night, like had 14 strikeouts and threw like 113 pitches. And they took him out like, you know, in the middle of the seventh, I believe, um, which is still better than what the twins were doing, but it's not like, you know, he was like, like, you know, he had 14 strikeouts, but they were like, Hey, let's keep him going. Um, you know, it's, it really is rare. And there has to be like a perfect storm of like, they have to be pitching well, their pitch count has to be low. Like, all mm-hmm. of this like remember earlier in the year when Kershaw was throwing a no hitter and he was on like I think 80 pitchers or something and they're like yeah let's pull him in the seventh like, right you know it's like things happen um so I think that that is hard to understand I also think that certain coaches and especially Rocco has always been this way like at least he's consistent in that matter of like he's a matchup guy and he's someone that is going to always go to his bullpen because he's going to want them to prove that um you know that they can do what their job is yeah no and that's um, that's that's true and i mean it's yeah and the other point it's of a it matchup where, thing too you know what i oh, mean it, like it's it that is that is the point yeah. yes of course and it's like it's intellectually makes sense but it's also still like ah would love to see louis varlin keep pitching and keep and, and listen to his mom still screaming the whole time right i know i know you would um so yeah, we can talk about Barlin if we're sick of you know angsting over the the pitching. Yeah, let's, let's talk about yeah. Barlin. Barlin's kind of a fun story because he's you know, North St. Paul native, Concordia. The, the, a little bit of a an underdog story is maybe the wrong term, but you know, really a fast riser, a riser through the major league or minor league system. Not someone you probably had on your radar as someone who was going to make his major league debut this year. You know, started in Double A, ends up making his debut in a doubleheader at Yankee Stadium, and and does quite well looks like he belongs here you know and injuries forcing him into the rotation but also his performance in the minors and tons of family support seemed like it was a a fun night for him even if it you know didn't end up working out in terms of the ultimate game outcome yeah um no it was it was cool to see i mean i definitely when i kind of was sensing that that was the move they are going to make and pulling this guy up i was like "Uh, are we sure we want to put a you know rookie guy he was had a fast rise, but, you know, probably has got a lot of confidence because he's been two years of just like, you know, ascending through the system. And like, do we really want to put him into this situation at Yankee stadium where, you know, it could go sideways really fast against right. like, you know, on the altar of Aaron judge, he is like the sacrificial lamb. So yes. I was like, I would rather not have that happen to this poor kid, but that and that way the rainout kind of like worked out um because he was able to pitch you know in the first game of a double header there weren't a ton of fans there at that point i think his family's little 20 strong cheering section uh, along the left field line or on the, along the uh, uh third baseline were the loudest people in the stadium for most of that first game so like that worked out well for him and then obviously there was kind of a perfect storm of injuries and such with the yankees and they didn't have their strongest lineup out there so like i don't know it all it went that way it went really well but it was very cute you know like his family like i said they were so loud they like had the sign that they were holding up this banner that said lou and they would chant his name and they go lou and like all this stuff it was very cute um, they were very supportive, but the funniest part was after um, that first game, we were going to try to talk to to Louie. Um, 
And so we see him coming down the tunnel with his family. It's his mom and dad and his sister and brother, his brother, who's actually also a pitcher in the Dodgers organization. And they're coming down and like, they're all hugging each other. And then they're like taking this family picture and the mother, God bless her name's Kim is just like sobbing really (laughs) the entire time, like uncontrollably. Um, And then he's like, what he's like trying to do his first interview. And so they're like, the family's trying to like, you know, separate from him. And then we're trying to like descend upon him to like start asking questions. And she goes, you can do it, Louie. And he goes, thanks mom. (laughs) Oh, the first before the first, you know, major league media scrum. And I was like, oh, my God, it was so cute. And she just like literally the whole time as he's answering these questions, it's just back there like (laughs) (laughs) it was so cute. She was so she was so emotional. But like, I get it. Like in her her quote that we talked to her afterwards, she was like, just what do you do? Like when you see your your kids dreams come true right in front of your eyes like just what more could you want it's so overwhelming and like I get it from that perspective so it was very it was very very sweet and Louis Varland himself is I mean he's a he's a kid he's 24 but he was so nervous during the interview I think he like you know isn't really used to doing media stuff to begin with as a North St. Paul guy and then a Concordia St. Paul guy in D2 and then you know he was in the minor leagues up until now so right. he wasn't quite used to that so he's a little nervous you could tell he had kind of like a lot of nervous energy but you could tell he was he was really excited and he was really happy about how he performed um, and you know he's the, was the 29th man yesterday so that right. means that he kind of had to get sent back down per rules but Rocco said like you know I, I think he's somebody that's going to be back up here pretty soon and he's going to help us out um, in the future and Tyler Malley's out for who knows how long on this injured list. So they are going to be another starter probably at some point. So maybe he comes up a little bit more permanent role. So it was cool. It was cool to see. It was very sweet. Um, this Minnesota family that was just having, you know, such a dream, dreamlike movie day is what his mom said. So it was cool. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you made a good point in terms of, you know, he's probably not here if Tyler Malley is healthy, if they don't have all the injuries to pitchers earlier in the year. I mean, we forget about Bailey Ober. We forget about Josh Winder. We forget about Chris Paddock way back in the day. Like their, their, their rotation has been hit by a lot of stuff along the way. And, you know, their starting lineup um, even more. So I was looking at their, their opening day lineup, Megan, against Seattle, very first game of the season. Byron Buxton batting leadoff, playing center field. He's hurt now. Carlos Correa hitting second, playing short. He's he's in the lineup. Jorge Polanco, third. Nope. Gio Urshela, fourth. Yeah, he's still here. Miguel Sano batting fifth. Uh, barely heard from him all year because he got hurt, and then he was bad, and now he's hurt. Alex Kirilov, nope. Gary Sanchez, yeah. Ryan Jeffers, nope. Max Kepler off and on with that toe. So, you know, one thing to keep in perspective, and I'm sure you know the writers do a better job of this than the fans do at some point, but like they've just been clobbered by injuries, especially to the outfield, to, to their lineup. Like this is not anywhere near the team that they broke camp with way back in the day. Yeah, also very true. Because I mean, like I mentioned how the Yankees are kind of fielding a triple A lineup, and it's not exactly that for the twins, but there's definitely a lot of young players. Um I mean, like you just even look at like the starters for yesterday's game. You had a guy making his MLB debut and then you have Joe Ryan, who is still in his rookie season, by the way. (laughs) So like, you know, there's a lot of guys that are in their like first or second year um, and trying their their best to really make a difference here. So 
Yeah, I do think that that is maybe another thing to keep in mind for for fans. But I think for them too, they probably then are like, well, why is everybody always injured? And like, is wow, yes, especially you know, when it, especially when it comes to someone like Byron Buxton, who obviously has injuries every year, and it's something he deals with all the time. And I think, you know, on. I'm big on transparency. I'm a real big transparency gal, which is probably why I would get fired immediately if I were a major league manager. But like for me, it's like I would just, I don't know, I would just be honest about this stuff. And I think maybe that's what a lot of the frustration comes with is that these teams are for good reasons or their own reasons are kind of secretive or they don't really say like exactly what this guy is dealing with at this time. And I get that. I don't think you have to be so specific of like, yes, Byron Buxton saw the doctor today and here are the x-rays, everyone. But like, I think it's just hard when people, you know, think it's a knee injury and then suddenly it's a hip injury and then it's both or like Max Kepler, um, you know, had the broken toe, which is what put him on the IL. But then now he's been out with like, quote unquote, like hip tightness, like he ran to the center field wall at some point in Chicago, I think. And then it was his kind of like hip or glute upper hamstring situation area. Um, that is sore and he's kind of like day to day. So there's just, I think a lot of like maybe confusion on the fans part about what really are the issues and what really is the severity of it. And I think, you know, Rocco Baldelli does his best to try to like explain it, especially from Byron Buxton's perspective, because he's a player's manager and he also dealt with injuries during his career. And so he wants people to understand that these guys are like trying their best and they're not just like kicking their feet up and, you know, taking the game off. It's like really a serious issue and they're trying their best, but, I think from the fan perspective, that's just simply never going to be like a good enough answer unless they like feel like they actually know all of the details of which they're never going to get. So it's just like a, it's going to be a tainted relationship from the start on those injury things, but it is, you know, you do got to keep that in mind. However, as we say, every team deals with injuries. Yes. Every team has issues. Um, like the Yankees are without Andrew Benintendi, which is a big loss for them for like the rest of the season. So things happen and teams still overcome somehow. Um, but you know, for the twins, it's just, it's tougher when some of your biggest guys are not in the lineup. Let's finish with this, Megan. We, we, you know, we talked about how there's still this opportunity in front of them with a lot of games against Cleveland, Chicago, the schedule more forgiving in, in the rest of September and into early October. As you think about this team, I've, I've had a hard time kind of discerning what their identity is or how, when they're playing, when they're, when they're winning, when they're playing their best, what, what are they doing particularly well? And, you know, I don't think they do one thing particularly well, but I don't think they do anything particularly, you know, devastatingly poorly either. If, if they are going to rally down the stretch and win this division, what is it? What do you imagine after, as you've watched the team, what is it going to be that gets them over the top? Perhaps that is their identity, Rand, it's that they are a jack of all trades and a master of none. Okay. Um, I could accept that as someone who has made her career off of being just that <laughs> covering sure. every sport under the sun. Yes. It can work out for you. Um, I honestly do though think that there's some credibility to that theory because Rocco Baldelli, one of his greatest cliches, God bless him, um, is like finding ways to win. That's like yes. one of the big things he, he likes to talk about, about how it's not just you know, hitting the big homer. It's not just, um, you know, having a, a pitcher that, you know, has a lights out outing. It's like, you just do whatever it takes to get the win. And if it's, if it's pretty great and if it's not, that's fine. Um, and that is kind of like, you know, cliche and boring, but I do think that there is a little bit of truth to that in that I can see this team having to do just that. 
because you're right like a little bit of everything because i don't think that there's ever going to be a point unless the stars align like they've had one or two games this year where the pitching and the bullpen and the defense and the hitting have all been on like one one page and it's been beautiful and harmonious um but those games are like few and far between and with all the injuries that they have i just don't i don't see it all coming together at the perfect time for them so they're gonna have to rely on the scrappiness factor um which is not you know a horrible strategy like the whole point of the playoffs is it's just like whoever can outlast it and especially in baseball and sports like baseball and hockey when teams are just beat up by the end of the year either from the physical nature of the sport or just the fact that they play 162 games it's like it's you just got to get to the end i think we saw that it was a last year the years went together but the dodgers were like really good but they just had so many injuries that by the time they got to the playoffs it was just like there's just no way like they might be the best team this year but like, it's just not going to happen, <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, that makes sense. So, so I do think that there is a, there is something to say about that is just if they can kind of keep scrapping out those wins. Now, one of the perfect examples of that would have been in the double header, the first game yeah. that goes in 12 innings, that's a game you got to win. And there were plenty of opportunities where they could have done it and they made some weird mistakes, whether it be like, you know, fielding errors, throwing errors and in extra innings um, when they, you know, had, Gilberto Celestino on second to start the 10th inning. And then they waved him home on a ground ball to right field by Luis Arise. That was a little like, ah, and he was out by a mile. Like, you right. know, those are kind of things that you're like, Ooh, you really can't do that when you're trying to win these tight games. Um, but as we've said, there's a lot of time still left in the, in the season and a lot of games to come. So yeah, you know, just to be a, a Rocco Baldelli, if they find ways to win, I think it's going to happen for him. <laughs> a lot of time, but not a lot of, margin for error so we'll see how it all plays out um megan will be writing about it our colleague phil miller will also be writing about it plenty of columnists i'm sure down the stretch as well should be interesting at the very least if not always fun um megan appreciate your time today and uh, we'll catch up soon okay thank you for having me good stuff from megan good to talk to her about the twins and should be a Huge, fun weekend. You got, like I said, Twins against the Guardians starting Friday at Target Field. Vikings-Packers on Sunday. Um, day before that, you've got uh, you got the Gophers playing Western Illinois. That should be a walkover game. But you never know. Uh, Bowling Green put one on them last year when we least, least expected it. So getting to be the time of year where there is a lot going on. Patrick Royce and I should have a full recap of that on Monday probably starting with that Vikings-Packers game at U.S. Bank Stadium. Thank you so much for joining me here today and all week. I'm Michael Rand. We'll catch you again on Monday.